0: Good evening, everyone. I was going to say it's a blessing to be here. It's been a blessing to be here all along. And I found myself facing you more often than makes me comfortable. (laughs) Jesus is coming. And in Matthew 25, in verse 6, it says, Go ye out to meet Him. Now, if we know the parable, this is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, we know that this going out to meet him is not the condition for being ready to meet him because half of these young virgins were not ready to meet him. They were not prepared to meet him. And this is what I want to talk with you tonight. How is it? that they were not prepared, yet they were going out to meet Him. Is it possible that you and I are not prepared for Jesus to come? As a matter of fact, in Amos chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Prepare to meet thy God. This is not an option. The Lord is giving us a command. The Lord is, is telling us that we should be intentional about the preparation that we need to make in order to be ready for Jesus to come. I'm going to ask you to to bow with me. We're going to ask the Lord to speak to us this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our God. Thank you for the time that we've had together these past few days and for the Spirit of God as it has moved among us. Thank you for all the speakers and, and all the inspiration. And this evening, as we come together for the last time, we're looking for thy Holy Spirit. We're looking for freedom and power and understanding, especially as we look at ourselves in the terms of being prepared to meet you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To interest you to come to the meeting tonight, you may have read in the ministry that I wrote this. If, as a church, we only had six months to work would we spend our time arguing women's ordination, New Age mysticism, theistic evolution, and internal politics, or would we buckle down to deal with the issue most important to God? Now, obviously, that begs the question, what is the issue most important to God. Now don't get me wrong. All these issues that I, I, that I named just a few minutes ago are important to God and they are, ought to be important to us also. It's just that I have in my head the idea, the notion that if every single Seventh-day Adventist in the world, 18 million of them were focused on present truth if every Seventh-day Adventist was focused on what it means that Jesus is working in the most holy place of the sanctuary, if, it, if we knew what it meant to be living in the antitypical day of atonement, if we understood the three angels' messages and what it is that God expects of His people, I believe that all the issues that we think are issues today would be non-issues because they would be eclipsed by the truth that we ought to be focused on. And the only reason that they are issues is because they, they are controversial. And the only reason they are controversial is because we are not united and we're not united because our experience is not what it ought to be. We are not ready. And we've revealed that we're not ready. Now, I don't have time to list all the adjectives that Ellen White would use to say why we're not ready and why it is that the Lord would have come long ere this except that we aren't insubordinate and because we're worldly and because we're selfish and because we, we strive and we're fighting for supremacy and all those other things that she has to say about it. But that's the truth. It's only proof that as a people, we are not ready. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, you all know it by heart, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Do you know that this verse birthed the Seventh-day Adventist church? You know, we we say that, and we've heard that, and we know that. And then in our minds, I, I don't know what happens in our minds, but... It had to be an awfully powerful verse in order that there be 18 million people all denominated, organized together to, to prepare a world for the second coming of Jesus. There's power in that verse. Sometimes we don't understand it. I think the power of it is because Jesus transferred from the holy place of the sanctuary, to the most holy place of the sanctuary. And he went there because he intended to raise for himself the Seventh-day Adventist church so that he could prepare them, so that he could grow them, so that he could get them to the place where they would reflect the image of Jesus so perfectly that the whole world would be lightened with the glory of His character. But friends, we've lost sight of that. We really have because we have become more or less in our thinking nominal. We see ourselves at just another denomination when we are not just another denomination. We are indeed a movement of destiny. I hope you know that. So we've occupied our minds with minor matters. In the book Acts of the Apostles, page 50, paragraph 1, whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power... And I stop right there. I just hesitate right there. Do you know what the divine power is? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power inherent in God to save them that believe, the Jew first and also the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of Christ revealed. And when you analyze that long enough, you will see that there's some words here that are synonymous. The word power, the word gospel, the word righteousness of Christ all mean one thing. It is the power of God to save. That's what it is. In Faith and Works, page 27, paragraph 0, divine power and the human agency combined will be a complete success. Why? For Christ's righteousness accomplishes everything. What does Christ's righteousness accomplish? That's where the power is. Christ's righteousness accomplishes everything. So we'll go back to our quotation. Whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church, which is necessary... For the growth and prosperity of ASI, which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the North American division, GCOCI, the local church, I don't care what you want to say. All the power that is necessary is in the Holy Spirit and in God himself, in Jesus Christ. So whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power, which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church, which would bring all other blessings in its train is lacking, though offered in infinite plenitude. What's the problem? Minor matters occupy the attention. And we know that we have delayed the second coming of Jesus, don't we? It's very Biblical. I'll have you turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. You can see it there. I've preached this before. Maybe some of you have heard this just the same. It's obvious that we have delayed the second coming of Jesus. And it isn't He who is delaying anything. He would have come long ere this. We have the proof of it right here. We're in Revelation chapter 7. Now in Revelation chapter 7, Jesus sends four angels what to do. Do you remember? Now, obviously, you can't talk to me. I probably wouldn't hear you from where you are, but usually people say that He sent the four angels for the purpose of holding back the winds of strife. Friends, that isn't true. This is what the angels end up doing, but that's not why they were sent. They were sent to destroy the earth and every tree and everything that's in the sea. They were sent to destroy because Jesus was coming. Look at verse Verse 2, verse 3. This is Revelation chapter 7. I saw another angel ascending from the east. Keep your eye on that angel. We'll come back to him. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, to whom it was given to destroy this earth saying, don't do it, don't do it. Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till you have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And so you can see that things are on hold. The Holy Spirit being poured out in latter rain power is on hold. The loud cry is on hold. The time of trouble is on hold. The seven last plagues can't fall. The battle of Armageddon can't be fought. Jesus cannot come. And why is it? It's because the servants of our God are not sealed in their foreheads. We're not prepared. We are not ready. I don't know how I'm going to emphasize this tonight. I really, really don't. You know we're in trouble. If I asked you where in the Bible we should go to see what is the problem with God's people. Where would you look? Well, it's very easy. That's right. It's Revelation chapter 3. We know that for sure. We are neither hot nor cold. We are lukewarm. We, we are deceived thinking that we're better than we are are really spiritually. We feel no need of God because we are self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-satisfied. We're spiritually poor, spiritually naked, spiritually blind. And the whole, the real problem, the bottom line of this thing is that we don't Know it. Can you imagine we don't know it? This, this chapter on Laodicea is very, very clear in clarifying what our spiritual condition is. We read it all the time, we preach it all the time, and in the end, God looking down the annals of times can point to God's people and say, They don't know it. Even though I have told them in clear words right here in the Bible, we have not believed. What does he call himself? In the true witness and what he has to say for us in his counsel. And the proof of the fact is that we don't believe is that we have not taken the counsel. It's obvious we have not taken the counsel. By of me, gold tried in the fire and white raiment and I, and I salve. You know, God even sent two young men in 1888 in order to flesh this out for us so that we could better or more easily understand this thing. And friends, we've been like the 10 spies in Numbers chapter 14, haven't we? God said to them, I'm going to give you the land. Go in there and possess the land. And they said, well, couldn't we go in there and spy the land? And the Lord says, go on in there and tell me what you think about it. It's great land. It really is. So they go in there and they come back and they say it was great land. It really was. But do you know that there are giants there? There were giants there. And God said, so? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but you don't know the walls. You know how high the walls are? And God said, so? (laughs) Yeah, but they have iron chariots, and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight compared to these people over there. And God said, I didn't ask you to tackle these giants or these walls. I told you that I'm giving it to you. And friends, it's the same thing. It's been the same thing for us. When we've studied this thing as a denomination, we've come to Revelation chapter 14 where the three angels' messages are, and we begin to realize that God is wanting us to be like the 144,000 with God's character written in our frontal lobe, not corrupt with false doctrine, following Jesus whithersoever He goes and no guile in our mouth, and faultless before the throne of God. We need to be perfect. We need to be ready. God wants to make a special demonstration with us. He wants this demonstration to cover the whole world, and we look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, it's a lot easier to be just like other churches around. I mean, after all, isn't that a high bar? We can't be like that. Well, friends, I want to tell you something. We are well able to do this. Because it isn't us doing it. It's the same thing as as for the children of Israel way back then. It's the same thing. God has promised to work in us if we would work it out just what He gives us. In the book Early Writings, where I usually get my impetus, is in in the chapter called The Shaking. It's on page 269. Ellen White is speaking about the future. Is future to our time today? It really is. She's speaking of the future and she sees two groups of people in the Seventh-day Adventist church in the future from now. And the one group is with strong faith in agonizing cries, pleading with God. They're pictured perspiring profusely, and they have an internal struggle. An internal struggle. Doesn't say what it is, just that it's an internal struggle. She pictures another group, and they're indifferent about the whole situation and doesn't say what they're fighting about. I mean, what what the issue is. It's just that it's just that way. And for, for years I've been studying this thing on my knees and all the while I've been thinking, what is it that will get us to the place where we're going to agonize with God like Jacob agonized with God and said, we won't let you go except you bless me. So something's got to bring us to that place as a church. And I always thought, well, maybe the National Sunday Law will do it. I assume when the National Sunday Law comes, if it should hit us any day now, I think it would bring us to our knees, don't you? But I've come to realize, no, that's not going to be it. I believe, and I got this conviction this week sometime, that the issue is somehow the Lord's going to get through to my brain that I am not as perfect as God wants me to be. That I don't reflect the image of Jesus like He wants me to reflect the image of Jesus. And that I cannot do it. All my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one. But God has promised to do it, right? Yeah. What is justification by faith? Ellen White says, it is the work of God. It's His work to lay the glory of man in the dust." That's how He's going to do it. One of these days we're going to wake up groveling because we have not by faith followed Jesus where He wants us to go. He's going to bring us there. And I can't wait, but at the same time I wish I could bypass this thing. (laughs) It's going to be painful. Yeah. And half the church will be wise in this matter, half the church will be foolish. I'm still in Early Writings, page 270. I want you to hear this. I saw that the testimony of the true witness has not been half-heeded. Now what is the testimony of the true witness? It's the Laodicean message. Watch, watch carefully now. The solemn testimony upon which the destiny of the church hangs has been lightly esteemed, if not entirely disregarded. If our destiny hangs on the Laodicean message, do you think we ought to take this thing seriously? What do you think? But you know, God in His graciousness in the paragraph above, He narrows this thing even more. The straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness. What God has done here is taken the whole Bible, and by the way, friends, we ought to live by every word that proceeds out of the Bible. Isn't that true? Yes, it's true. But God takes the whole Bible, He concentrates it down to one verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, and He says the destiny of the church, the destiny of souls hangs upon the reception of that verse. Buy of me, gold tried in the fire, and white raiment, and I have. It's amazing. That's what it says. Now, you're still in Revelation chapter 7, and there we saw that God send an angel with the seal of the living God. Do you know who that angel is? Do you? Let me read it to you. Early Writings, one eighteen, paragraph 1. I then saw the third angel of Revelation 14. Said my accompanying angel, fearful is his work, awful is his mission. He is the angel that is to seal the wheat from the, for the heavenly garner. Do you see which angel it is? The sealing angel of Revelation chapter 7 is, is the angel of Revelation 14, the third angel. In early writings, 258, watch now. I was shown three steps, the first, second, and third angel's messages. The destiny of souls hangs upon the manner in which they are received. The three angel's messages. Now watch what we just heard. And I don't know if you've put it together, but watch. The destiny of souls hangs upon receiving the three angels' messages. The destiny of the church hangs upon receiving the counsel of Revelation 3, verse 18. So here's the question. On how many things can our destiny hang? And I'm here to tell you it's only one thing. Because it's one and the same thing. The third angel's message. Have you ever wondered what the third angel's message was? Why is it that Ellen White says it's righteousness by faith and verity? Well, we're just seeing it right now. The third angel's message is buy of me gold tried in the fire and white raiment and ice And then I want you to repent and let me in already. Five years ago, my vice president at Eden Valley. She was working in the kitchen, and I happened to be walking through the kitchen. It was a time of convention. I was just walking through, and she arrested me right there. And she said, doesn't Ellen White say that the third angel's message is righteousness by faith and verity? Well, actually, it doesn't say that. It says justification by faith is righteousness. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I said, yes, that's what it says. So she went on to say, how is it then when our evangelists are conducting an evangelistic series and they speak on the, mark of, they speak on the third angel's message, they speak about the mark of the beast and the, and the resulting wrath of God, where is righteousness by faith in that? Have you been able to answer that question? You know, I didn't have much time that day. I was just passing through. I wasn't thinking about anything like that. But it's amazing because I think today that the Holy Spirit must have inspired me Because I said, it's in there, not explicit in the text. It's implied. It's there. It's there by contrast. And you know, five years later, after studying this thing as long as I have, I still believe the same thing, that that's where it is. In the beast of Revelation chapter 14, you will not find righteousness by faith. You're going to find righteousness by works. You're going to find righteousness by force. You're going to find righteousness by legislation, by flattery, by bribery. If nothing else works, you'll find righteousness by torture. And when it's all said and done, there's no righteousness there at all, none. In essence, the beast does not care a hoot about righteousness. All he cares about is control. That's it. Theologically, you cannot find righteousness by faith with the beast. Because the faith that you find in righteousness by faith implies self-distrust which necessitates putting our faith in God for righteousness. With the beast, we are expected to put our faith in the traditions of men, in church decrees and creeds, in it- Ecclesiastical pronouncements. We are expected to put the human above the divine and friends that always leads to the mark of the beast. That's what it is. It's enforcing human dogma above the Word of God. That's all it is. That's what it is. It is righteousness by faith in the message by contrast. Now you and I have two problems of course and we're already looking at them. First of all, we've never felt our need of the counsel of the true witness. And the reason for that is we've been comparing ourselves among ourselves. We look at other denominations and it's obvious to see. Doctrinally, they don't match up because we have based our doctrines on the Word of God and they have based their doctrines on traditions and a mixture of the Word of God and it hasn't worked for them and we could debate them anytime and win. And because we do, we think we're doing really well and we're ill-focused, ill-focused altogether. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof because the righteousness of Christ has not been internalized. There isn't anything I want more than to experience Christ as my righteousness, to have him take possession of this individual and to work through me so that he can do whatever he wants. What can God do if he gets hold of you and me? He can do anything, The second thing that is a problem is that, generally speaking, we do not understand the three angels' messages. We don't. In 1888 materials 165 paragraph 4, there are few, and Ellen White will say in one place, not one in 100, there are few, even of those who claim to believe it, that comprehend the three angels' messages, and yet, This is the message for this time. How many of you are living in this time? (laughs) That's a stupid question. (laughs) We're all living in this time. I'm living in this time, and this message is for this time. Don't tell me it's not applicable today. Then she says, just five more little words, it is present truth. Our ASI Secretary-Treasurer in January made a trip to another continent and they had meetings on, on, um, at a- ASI. They had a big ASI meeting on another continent and there were officials there and after the meetings, a group of officials all got together and eventually during that meeting, one official, I'm not going to tell you whether he is an ASI official or not a church official or who he is, but an official stood up and said, I don't see what the third three angels' messages have to do with our identity. And, and our secretary treasurer's draw, jaw dropped like boom. <laughs> How can that be? That doesn't make any sense. How is it then that we have three angels' message, three angels pictured on our marquees before the churches and our walls in, outside the church and on our walls inside the church and on the pulpit? Three angels' messages everywhere, three ABN even. How do we, why do we go there if we don't understand what it means, if it has nothing to do with our identity? Now you might say, poor people. Well, don't say poor people. If I was to call you up, could you explain to me, to us, what the three angels' messages have to do with our identity? Could you? I don't want to be too hard on anyone. After all, It took me 40 years to make a connection between Revelation chapter 14, the third angel, to Revelation chapter 7 to understand that the sealing angel is the angel of Revelation chapter 14. It took me 40 years to realize that the message, uh, buy of me gold tried in the fire, is the three angels' message to to us and to the world as it is. Do you know that we call the the angels, the fourth angel in Revelation chapter 18, that he gives a loud cry cry of the third angel? Do you see the third angel is everywhere? (laughs) Because we're living at this time. And God wants wants us to understand what this is all about and how important it is for us. You and I are in special spiritual trouble. Did you ever hear the phrase in the Old Testament, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Did you ever hear that? Why is it that God bunches up those three names like that in the Old Testament so often? Well, the reason is because it takes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to produce Israel. That's what it is. These are symbols, of course. And Abraham is is known for what? Faith, right? Sure. He believed God and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. He believed God so much he was willing to sacrifice that upon which he had bestowed the most affection ever. That's how much he had faith. When God asked him to do something, he trusted God in the matter. It's amazing. Now, Isaac, what is Isaac known for? He's a child of promise. I don't know how long Abraham and Sarah were married. 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. Do you think that in this time they did not try to have children? My guess is they were always trying to have children. How long would they have had to continue to try in order to succeed to have children. They could never have done it because she was barren, could not have children. The only reason they had children is because God had promised to give it to them and He worked an absolute miracle. It was a creative act. Do you know that we need to be born again? Do you know that you can't? How many people can make themselves can bring themselves into this world. It doesn't work that way. We can't do it. And it was especially hard for Abraham and for Sarah, of course. It was a miracle. The third one on our list, of course, is Jacob. Now, Jacob is a special individual, and I like to focus on him because we are like Jacob. We are spiritual. We are religious. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. He wanted the priesthood of the family. Right from the beginning, the angel had told his mother didn't, she? Didn't, didn't he? That he would have the blessing. He would have the birthright. He would be the spiritual priest in the family. He wanted it. He didn't want anything bad. He wanted something good. The only problem is he didn't have any tools by which to bring this thing to happen. So he worked with what he had. And he had a choleric temperament. <laughs> and he got what he wanted. But in the end, he didn't get what he wanted. Now, No. no. He had to cheat his brother. He had to lie to his father. He had to connive with his mother. He thought he got what he wanted and all he got is exiled from his mother and from his family for 20 years. He comes back 60 to 90 years later, excuse me, he comes back when he is 60 to 90 years of age. I don't know exactly how old he was. Different people you talk to tell you different things. And then his brother comes with an army to meet him Jacob is scared to death because he knows it's his fault and he deserves what he's going to get. So he gets on his knees to pray with God. He's going to claim two promises. God said, you go out there and I'll protect you. That's one promise. And while he's praying and pleading this promise, somebody comes along, puts his hand on his shoulders. He thinks it's an enemy and he wrestles from midnight to the breaking of the day. That's a long time to wrestle, I'll tell you that. Eventually, he realizes that who he's wrestling with is Jesus Christ and he lays hold on Jesus. He lays hold on Jesus and he agonizes with strong faith and agonizing cries. He pleads with God, I will not let you go until you convert my soul. Until you give me a new heart and a new spirit. Has God promised to do that for us? Is it true? Do you have it? Do you have it to the extent that God can use you to enlighten the whole world with His own character. That's what it's all about. That's what we want. That's what is righteousness by faith. In 7 B.C. Thank you, Missy. In 7 B.C., page 980, paragraph 3. Watch. Everything is now at stake. How many things? Everything is at stake. Now, at this time. The third angel's messages is to be regarded as of highest importance. It is a life and death question. That's what she writes. And let me tell you something, it is for me. Everything that the Laodicean message has to say about the Laodicean church applies to me. I am neither hot nor cold. I am lukewarm. I'm self-sufficient. I'm I'm self-righteous, I'm complacent, I'm indifferent, and all the other adjectives that Alan White could use. Now, would I be wrong to think for a moment that I'm alone in this thing? No, why are we here 171 years later? This is why. Why haven't we taken this thing seriously? Why aren't we running with it? Do you see how important this is to God? This is the only thing that's delaying His coming. Volume 9, page 19, paragraph 1. Seventh-day Adventists have been given a work of the most importance, of most solemn importance, the most solemn importance, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. How many other things? Nothing else. Well, friends, we have allowed other things to absorb our attention. Our attention from soup to nuts, we have allowed it. In Testimonies to Ministers 331, paragraph 2, the third angel's message is to be our burden of of warning. The side issues are not for us to meddle with. So what are we doing all tangled up in women's ordination, in spiritual formation, in Jesuit mysticism, in reinstating dead feasts, in basing the Sabbath on the lunar calendar, in denying the personhood of the Holy Spirit, in promulgating conspiracy theories that fly through our inboxes every day? Shouldn't we leave all that confusion to Babylon? Shouldn't we? That's why Babylon is confused. Why do we go there? Especially when God has given us a message that will turn this world upside down. We get all involved everywhere else. Do you know why Babylon has fallen? Go with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. This, of course, is the story of the fall of Babylon. There's a man there by the name of Nimrod. He's a mighty hunter, according to the Bible. According to Google, they say that his name is kind of a byword. If You're just such a Nimrod. (laughs) Like, you're just so stupid. Who in the world can think to get to heaven using brick and mortar? That's pretty dumb, really. But you know, that wasn't the issue. That wasn't the issue. We're in Genesis chapter 11. The issue is in verse 3 and 4. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick. And by implication, let us burn them thoroughly. Verse 4, and they said, go to, let us build us a city. And by implication, let us build us a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the earth, the face of the whole earth. That's the issue, friends. Let us, five times in two verses, let us, we can't trust God, let us save ourselves. Let us do religion our way. Let us make a name for ourselves. And Nebuchadnezzar had the very same issue. You remember in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 30. Isn't this Babylon that I have built for my glory? And on and on he went. What happened to poor old King Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. And what about his grandson? When Daniel approached him in Daniel chapter 5, and I'm going to skip going over there, you know the story. He said, though you have known all these things, yet you took all the glory to yourself. You turned your back on God. You did religion the Babylonian way. Well, friends, what about us? Isn't that the whole issue? Mm -hmm. We can't save ourselves. There isn't anything we can do You heard Pastor Bradshaw this morning, amazing sermon on righteousness by faith. How clearly he said it out there. Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leopard change his spot? Neither are ye who are accustomed to do evil do good. You can't, you can't, you can't. And unless you get God to work a miracle on your behalf, you're going to do religion human way. You're going to do the best you can with what you've got, and what you've got is not sufficient. It's not going to work. There is none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousness is filthy rags. God needs to work a miracle in us. He needs to give us the gift of His own righteousness so that He glorifies Himself in this world through us. That's what it is. Lord, help us. What do you say? hmm Heavenly Father, Lord, we understand. I don't know why it is that as a church we've never fully bought into your plan. Why the three angels' messages haven't made the impression they should have made on our hearts. Why it is that we do church like other people do church, in our own strength, with our own wisdom, fighting among ourselves, while all the while all we would have to do is get on our knees and ask you to show us and we just have to follow lord forgive us we failed you but thank you thank you thank you for the gift of your righteousness and forgiveness and for your love and we know that it's not too late and we're going to follow through bless us we pray and we thank you in jesus name